Hey, uh, this weekend, we get to kick off a brand new series called Make It Real. I am really, really excited about this and just can't wait to see what God does in us and through our church uh, and in our church uh, through this series. So uh, as we begin, let me just show you a picture. This is a good one right here. This is a classic. All right. So that's me. Uh, This is the uh, year between high school and college. So I took a year off. Uh, some people will take a gap year and they go someplace fancy. Uh, I, I drilled wells, okay? So <laughs> not as fancy. Uh, that's not Europe, okay? That is Caledonia, by the way. And uh, so that's what I did working in the family business. I was saving money for a car. I was saving money for college. And uh, it was at this point in my life where I really began to recognize that God was calling me into ministry. And so I did something kind of unique, I suppose, during that that year when I was drilling wells, kind of getting myself ready uh, for college and ministry. And what I did is I memorized something. And I had nothing to do with well drilling. It had had to do with the Bible. Uh, I memorized the book of James, okay, the whole thing. Now, it's not like, you know, the biggest book in the Bible. Okay, I didn't memorize Psalms. Everybody calm down. But it is 108 verses, okay? So just imagine me day after day, you know, lunch break on the drill site, sitting on an upside-down bucket, you know, flipping through these cards, trying to memorize these words. And so uh, I did it. I mean, after weeks and weeks and weeks of of intentional work, I memorized uh, the entire book of James. And you might be wondering, like, dude, why did you do that? That is so much work. Well, the reason is that this book, the book of James, uh, the verses that are written on these cards, uh, man, it had a huge impact in my life. And the time that this happened was during high school. So, Here's the deal. I grew up going to church like many of you grew up going to church. My grandpa was a pastor. Both my parents uh, were believers. We went to church like every weekend. But there was this uh, time in high school where their faith started to become my faith, where I started to take steps on my own to pursue Jesus. And uh, God really spoke to me through the book of James. There's just something about James and the way that he wrote, the way that he spoke that is just, I mean, it's very direct, it's very challenging, it's very practical. I mean, I might describe it as like a spiritual gut punch. And to kind of to help you understand what I mean, I mean, listen to these words. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. It's like spiritual gut punch. It just makes you go like, wow, is my faith real? Is my religion real? Another one, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And so words like this, just they, I wrestled with them. They challenged me and they helped me make it real, as in make my faith real in my life. And so I'm just, I'm excited, to be honest. I'm really excited to explore this book over, over eight weeks. And I just believe that as much as God shaped me through James way back all those years ago, I believe he's going to do something in me again. 
and I believe he's going to do something in you as well. So I'm excited about this series. Now, we're doing something new uh, as part of this series. Uh, I'm doing a podcast, okay? So this is exciting, at least for me. Uh, So here it is. Uh, It's called the Beyond the Weekend Podcast. I'm doing this with a couple friends. We're just doing it for this series. And uh, the idea behind this podcast is, um, you know, when I prepare a sermon, I prepare a lot of content that I don't get to share. And I do this for you because I know you don't want to listen to me talk for an hour, okay? So you're welcome. But uh, the, the podcast would give me an opportunity to talk a little bit about stuff I had to cut out or perhaps, you know, interesting, fascinating, historical, cultural elements. But just, it's kind of like a, a director's cut maybe or just bonus content. So I'm excited to share some of that, excited to share a little bit just kind of the sermon process. And then also, I think this could be really cool, Uh, You all, if you're interested, could send in a question that we would uh, try to answer uh, during the podcast. So uh, the goal is for it to hit, uh, to land like midweek, which would also give us another opportunity to just be thinking about the book of James uh, midway through the week. And so I'm excited for this. We're actually filming it. So if you want, you can watch it on our YouTube channel. Otherwise, wherever you get podcasts, I bet you can find it. uh, Beyond the Weekend podcast is what it's called. Uh, One other thing regarding this series. We're launching small groups uh, specifically for this series, like to discuss this series. So if you're not in a small group, Man, I would encourage you, uh, check it out. I mean, get involved in one. I think they're, they're like short term, and so it's kind of like test driving a group, but it'd just be a great way also to, to maximize the impact of this series. So both the things I just described, uh, adabible.info this weekend, that's how you could submit a question. You know, if you, something comes to mind during the sermon, I don't mind if you just pause and, and send in that question or at least jot it down. That's also where you can uh, find out about joining a group. So uh, this series, uh, we should probably talk about what the book of James is, right? Now, uh, we talk, we use this phrase, I have this habit of using this phrase, the book of James, or the book of Philippians, or the book of Romans. And and none of these are books. They're, They're letters. They're letters that someone wrote to someone else, or someone wrote to a group of people. And that's the same with James. And so just, you know, as we kick this thing off, listen to how he starts his letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. This is a letter. He's starting a letter. Now, who is James? Who's this guy writing this letter? We should probably know this. Now, I love this. This is great. James is Jesus' brother. Isn't that fantastic? Now, you should know, James was a late adopter, okay? So he, he didn't, uh, right away, he didn't believe, he didn't follow. And it's kind of like, well, why not? Um, how many of you have a brother? Okay, got it. Um, now, think about growing up together. Um, how many of you, if your brother said, I'm the son of God, <laughs> what would you have said? <laughs> Probably something like, get out of my room, right? And and what would it have taken to convince you that your brother was, in fact, the son of God? I would suggest to you probably raising from the dead. That probably would be the thing that would do it. So whatever the situation was, James was a late adopter. He became a Jesus follower a little later on. But 
he became an important leader in the church. In fact, he became like the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So that's who writes this letter. Now, who's he writing to? And we saw, he said, uh, James, he's writing to, uh, uh, what, what does it say again? I just memorized this, what, 25 years ago. I can't remember it. Um, okay, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Okay, 12 tribes, that's a way, I think, of saying Jewish believers. So these are ethnic Jews who are Jesus' followers, and they've been scattered among the nations. And the reason is persecution. They have been driven out of Jerusalem where they're from. They have seen some of their beloved church leaders murdered, and they've been forced to flee their homes, their friends, their jobs, and now they're, they're scattering to different towns and cities in different places. I mean, imagine being one of those people. You gotta find a new home, you gotta find a new job. Uh, you got to figure out, okay, who can we trust here and how are we going to feed our kids? And so they're scattered. They're going through hardship. They are suffering. And James begins his letter by talking to his former scattered congregation about walking through difficulty. And you know what? Maybe that relates to you right now. Maybe you're just going through a tough stretch. It is hard. Maybe you would describe yourself as suffering right now. I think James is going to have some profound things to say to you in that space. And maybe you're not. Maybe you would say, you know, life is pretty good right now. And maybe you're not even a believer. <laughs> Somebody dragged you here. You're watching online because your parents make you. Listen, wherever you are, I think James has some incredible wisdom for us today, and specifically about trials and hardship. So he's going to give us three challenges for navigating, uh, uh, nav navigating hardship. And the first challenge is this right here. This is normal. So verse 2, chapter 1, he goes like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't like this. <laughs> trials of many kinds. It can mean lots of trials. It can mean various trials. And he uses this phrase I think is really, really helpful, but I do not like it. Whenever. Whenever. It's like, you will. He gives us an expectation. This is coming. When you bump into difficulty and hardship and trial, because you will, just understand, I think this is what he's saying. He's given us an expectation. This is normal. Hardship, trouble, this is normal. And I think this is incredibly helpful for us because so often when we hit a rough patch in life, we get knocked over. We get upended because we weren't ready for it, because we weren't expecting it. And James just goes out of the gate to this congregation of his that's been scattered. Look, what you're experiencing, this is normal. You should expect this. Now, there is a belief out there that uh, if you have enough faith in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus enough that he will bless you, he will protect you, and, and bad things won't happen to you. That is a belief that's out there. And you know what? I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it at all. 
And the reason is not because my life experience doesn't match up with that, although that is true. The reason I don't buy that is because Jesus told us not to buy that. So uh, John, one of Jesus' disciples, one of his early followers, he wrote a biography about Jesus' life and ministry. We call it the Gospel of John. It's one of the first four books in the New Testament that tell the story of who Jesus was and what he did. John records a conversation between Jesus and his followers, his, his, his disciples, that, that really kind of shows us that we should not buy into that kind of belief. This comes from John 16, verse 33. Jesus says, quite simply, in this world, you will have trouble. Look, trouble is normal. Expect it. I think this is important because Jesus is talking to his followers who he loved very much. In fact, who he died for. That's how much he loved them. And he tells them, look, guys, you will experience trouble. You will bump into hardship. Expect it. This is normal. This is normal. Now, part of the reason for this is just, you know what? We live in a broken and fallen world. This world doesn't work the way that it should. And the reason for that is because of humanity's rejection of God's authority and rebellion against God. I'm talking about our ancestors, and I'm talking about every single one of us. We participate in this planet being broken. So all that to say, this place doesn't work how it should. And life doesn't go the way that it should. I experienced this last month, early December. So I was at a coffee shop. I'm studying. I do this a lot, studying for upcoming sermons. And I was, I was having a great morning. You know that feeling when you're like really productive and you're just like, I am getting stuff done. I'm getting stuff off the, the list. I just felt great. I was having a great morning until I left the coffee shop and walked out to my car, my, my Toyota Highlander. My Toyota Highlander, the front end was all smashed up. And there was this uh, couple guys from uh, a landscaping company standing around and they were like, is this your car? And I was like, what happened? <laughs> and so here's what happened. Uh, there was a big hill that I was kind of parked against. One of those big commercial lawnmowers slid down the hill and crashed into my car. My first thought was, what kind of people are mowing in December? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I, my face might have said that, but I didn't say that. And, you know, there's something, I mean, so thousands of dollars of damage to the front end of my car. And what was so frustrating is that exact same spot on the front end of my car had just been repaired less than six months before. <laughs> but in a moment like that, just to be able to take a deep breath and go, okay, this is normal. This kind of thing happens to people. Both James and Jesus said, hey, expect this kind of thing. And to be able to have that perspective, it, it protected me from flying off the handle, saying something that I would later regret, have to go back and apologize for, this perspective. Okay, this is normal. Now, with that said, I just know that some of you would go, yeah, I would take the dent. You know what, I would take the smashed front end of my car. Because what you're going through right now, uh, it's not an everyday 
mundane kind of trial. It's a significant trial. And you're going through something really hard and really heavy and really difficult. But I would, I would suggest the same thing to you. Um, this is normal. And Jesus told us to expect difficulty, pain, and even suffering. My friends, Jesus experienced hardship. Jesus suffered. And what's true in the minor hardships of life is also true in the big ones. In this perspective, okay, this is normal, and Jesus told us to expect this. I believe it's a reminder in that space that just because you're going through something hard doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. And just because you're going through something really hard doesn't mean that he's not with you and he's not for you. I believe in the big, heavy hardships of life, this perspective can protect us from doubting God's goodness and his love for us. And so James tells these people who have fled for their lives, they're refugees, hey, whenever, okay, this is normal, expect this. And I think this perspective is really, really helpful, but it doesn't change the fact that going through hardship is really hard. It's difficult. And you know what? Something that James said, I don't know if you caught this, is also really difficult. Uh, Same verse we already looked at, but just uh, the very beginning of it. He says, consider it pure joy. Anybody bothered by that one? It's like, okay, I understand. I understand expecting trouble, but joy in trouble? Really? And it's worse than that. He says, consider it joy. As in like, listen, I want you to choose to be joyful in the pain that you are going through. And my question is, why in the world would we do that? Well, it brings us to the second challenge that he has for us. It's right here. He's going to challenge us to choose to grow. So I'm going to read this verse again and then add a little to it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, here we go, because because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James says, here's why you should choose joy. Because going through hardship, trial, pain, and suffering, it has the potential to produce in you a character quality that is incredibly valuable, and it's called perseverance. That ability to endure through struggle and pain. He said, this is, this is incredibly valuable characteristic. Now, something I know that's true about you, you want perseverance. You want to be the kind of person that perseveres. We all want to be persevering people. You want to be somebody who doesn't quit, who sticks it out, who is faithful. You want to be the kind of person who does what is right, even when it hurts. We all want to be persevering people. But here's the problem. Perseverance is not free. Perseverance can only be earned. And it can only be earned through pain. And what James is telling us here is, look, what you are going through, the very struggle that you are in is an incredible opportunity to earn something that you can't get anywhere else. 
and is called perseverance. And you know what? I think we all know this. We've experienced this. We've seen this. I got to see this on display uh, late last week. So Katie and I, Thursday night, we got to do something that we haven't done since, well, a really long time because we have five children. We went to dinner and a movie, okay? So it was pretty amazing. Uh, but we saw this movie. It was called Boys in the Boat. Anybody ever uh, heard of this? Okay, I even I read the book uh, a couple years ago, and I watched this movie. Uh, it's a good movie. Um, it's just rowing, okay, for two hours. You just watch dudes row. No, that's not true. Okay, so it's a story. Uh, it's about a, a crew team. I, I don't know how, what they call this. This isn't my sport. Uh, rowing, crew, you know what I'm saying? University of Washington, uh, 1935, 1936. And the story is these young men, they join the team, uh, and they make it all the way, not only to winning like the national championship, they, they represent the United States in the Olympics. It's incredible. And what's really unique about their story is these guys didn't grow up rowing. They didn't grow up in, you know, sort of upper-class families at that time in history, you know, on the water, learning this sport from a very young age. No, they picked it up in college. But the thing about rowing is it, it takes an incredible amount of endurance and perseverance. I mean, maybe you've done rowing at the gym. I mean, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And these guys became incredible at it. And part of the, part of the story is why they were able to endure and persevere so much. Well, these guys, I mean, the opening scene of the movie, main character, he's living in a broken down car in a shanty town. It's a depression it's the 30s. His mom died when he was young. His dad abandoned him when he was 14. And this kid went through hardship. But that hardship earned him something. This character quality of perseverance. This kid could endure. And so I love that aspect of the story because it just puts on display something that we all know. You have to earn perseverance through pain. It's not free. And yet it's something that all of us want. And James just says, look, this incredible character quality, it can only be earned through the, the pain and the hardship that you're going through right now. So this is an incredible opportunity to grow in a character quality that you really want. But James says it's even better than that. Because there's an opportunity in your hardship to grow in something else that's even more valuable. Verse 4, he says this, let perseverance finish its work. It's just a reminder that you got to stay in the game. you got to stick with it. Perseverance must finish its work so that, purpose statement, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What does that mean? so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What, what is this about? I think this reveals to us one of the goals of our faith. And that is that we would become more and more like Jesus. That our character would mirror the character of Christ. This is one of the goals of our faith that over time, and we would think more like Jesus, speak more like Jesus, and act more like Jesus. I mean, did you know that this is one of the central goals of our faith? 
that the spirit of God is at work within you, transforming you that you might become more and more like Jesus. And what James is saying here is that going through trials presents an opportunity to grow in the character of Christ. Now, what does that character look like? I mean, what does it look like for a human being like me and like you to, to look like Jesus? Well, there's a great description of this in the New Testament in a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to, to Christians living in a, the region of Galatia. We call this the letter to the Galatians. And uh, this description, uh, I think for most of us, this is going to be pretty familiar. You've probably heard this before. Uh, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. What the Spirit of God desires to produce in us, to grow in us. Well, th these are the characteristics. This is what it looks like to mirror the character of Christ. But what James is saying, like his point is, look, going through trials is an incredible opportunity to grow in these characteristics. I might even go as far as to put it this way. Phrase that I want to put on the screen. You cannot become the person that God desires you to be without going through difficulty. You simply cannot become grow into the kind of person that God desires you to be without walking through difficulty. I mean, again, the fruit of the Spirit. It's precisely in seasons where your forbearance is tested that you grow in patience. Back me up, parents of toddlers and babies, right? And it's, it's in the seasons where you have to choose joy that you have an opportunity to become a more joyful person. And it's in those times when your self-control is, is tested because you're facing temptation, those are the seasons that you become a more disciplined and self-controlled person. God can use the very hardship that you're walking through to grow the character of Christ in you. And so just a really challenging statement for us, especially if you're going through hardship and trial right now, is this, don't waste this trial. It's just a totally different perspective about going through hard times. Don't waste it. Because this is an opportunity for God to grow something in you that, that cannot be grown in other places. This is an opportunity for perseverance and self-control and joy to grow in you. So don't waste this trial. Choose instead to lean into what God desires to do and just to ask him, God, what is it that you want to grow in me through this? What is it that you want to, to me to, how do you want me to become more like you in this space? I think this is incredible perspective just paradigm shifting when it comes to hardship and suffering. And it brings incredible meaning and purpose. But again, 
It doesn't make it any easier. And the truth is, some of the hardship that we go through is so difficult, it pushes you beyond what you can handle. And if you're going to get through this, you're going to need outside help. And this brings us to the third and final challenge that James gives us. He challenges, he challenges us to ask and to trust. So back to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5. James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you, if you lack wisdom, ask God for it. Now, I think this is a really good time for us to remember that James didn't write this letter to us. He wrote it for us, but he didn't write it to us. James wrote this letter to his former congregation that had been scattered by persecution. And why would he need to tell those people, hey, if you need wisdom, ask God. Remember, these are people that were forced to flee their homes, flee their families, flee their jobs, and they're asking hard questions right now. Who can we trust in this place? How are we going to feed our kids? Where, where should we put down roots? Should we put down roots? I mean, they're, they're in very confusing space. Hardship can be incredibly disorienting. And these people knew James, and James knew them. He was their pastor. I would imagine that some of them reached out to him. James, we don't know what to do here. And James writes to them, if you need wisdom, if you need to know what to do in this space, ask God, and he'll give it to you. He tells them to ask God for wisdom because that's what they needed and so I would ask you in the space that you're in, what do you need from God? What do you need from God in order to be able to endure and persevere and to really lean into what he desires to grow in you in this difficult space? What do you need from him in order to be able to do this? Are you in lonely space? I mean, you just feel very alone. You're just going, I need, I need friendship. I, I need some people to walk with and share life with. I need friends. Ask God for what you need in this space. Are you hurting? Some of you are sick. Some of you are in physical pain. Some of you are battling cancer. God, I need healing. Ask God for what you need. Are you just down? I mean, it's January. We're not going to see the sun for a while. And I wonder, are, are you just down? Are, are you sad? Are you depressed? God, I need joy. Ask God for what you need. Are you worried? Are you scared? Are you anxious? God, give me peace. Ask God for what you need. James invites his congregation to ask God for what they need. But then he gives them, just after inviting them to ask, then he gives them a very startling 
challenge. So verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It's like, whoa. That was intense, and that was harsh. So what's up with this? You know, hey, ask God for help, but when you do, you better not doubt or you ain't getting nothing. What, what is this? What's this about? Well, first off, this is James, okay? This is James' tone. And to be honest, this is part of what grabbed me as a teenager. I'm telling you, it's a spiritual gut punch. It makes you question. It makes you wrestle. It's challenging. And, and I resonated with that as a teenager, What James is trying to do for his congregation is he wants them to make it real again. He wants them to connect their faith in Jesus with real life. So there are moments where he's really challenging. But what do we do with this go to God with your needs, but you better not doubt when you ask? What do we do do with this? Well, here's a question. Why would you doubt? Why would you doubt that God would give you what you need? Because he doesn't care? I mean, maybe he's not really good. Or maybe, you know, he's trying to run the whole universe, and and what, what are my problems? You know, maybe he doesn't care. Or here's where my uh, mind goes sometimes. Um, Because I don't deserve it. I mean, I hate to say it, but some of the times when I ask God for help, it's because I did something dumb and I need him to bail me out. But I wonder, you ever struggle with that? I don't, I don't deserve his help. See, these are some of the reasons why we might doubt that God would actually give us what we need. But James gives us this beautiful reminder back in verse 5 why we should trust God. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, here it is, who gives generously to all without finding fault. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter. He gives generously to all. You see, our God is a generous God. He's so generous. I mean, the gifts that he's given us, life, what a gift. This beautiful creation, even on a weekend like this, I mean, what a gift. God has given us incredible gifts, music, sunsets, love, tacos. He's given us incredible gifts. He's so generous, but the greatest of those gifts is his son. Jesus Christ, God's son, who became like us, who endured hardship, who suffered just like we did. God gave us generously his son who suffered and died for us. And it's like James is going, listen, when you ask God for help, you got to remember who you're asking. You got to remember what he's like. You've got to remember what he's done. Believe, trust, don't doubt, because God has proven himself to to be unbelievably generous to us. And so when you ask for what you need, remember 
who you're asking. Remember what he's like. Remember what he's done. Ask and trust. Now, as we close our time today, I just thought it would be so fitting to celebrate communion together. To just take some time to remember the staggering generosity of our God. Anyway, this is an opportunity for us to make it real. To live out our faith because Jesus asked us, he commanded us to celebrate communion, to remember him and his sacrifice. And so let me invite our worship team back to the stage, both here and in all of our environments. They're going to lead us through one final song of just reflection and remembering what Jesus has done for us. And then our campus pastors uh, are going to lead us through communion. And if you're new to Ada, they'll, they'll walk you through, you know, how we handle this as a church. But this, my friends, is just an incredible opportunity to remember who he is, what he's done for us. And so let's celebrate communion together. Let me pray for you as we transition into this time. Heavenly Father, God, you have been so generous to us. God, you've just been so good. The incredible gifts that we experience day after day, the small things, the big things. But God, you gave us your son. God, you rescued us, and that was not free. And God, it just reminds us that you are trustworthy and you are good. And so, God, we choose to remember this in these moments. God, we love you. We're so grateful for who you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.